Welcome to All Things Eerie from Eerie PA. This is Kathy. I'm your host for today's episode. And this one's a bit strange, but not in a sense that there's a lot of twists and turns. No, this one has an aspect to it that Amanda's killer thought would help them during their trial. So let's dig in. This is the murder of Amanda Schmidt Grizzoli. And believe it or not, we're on episode 35. And this starts out as a typical story where a young girl moves from a small town called Altoona in Blair County, Pennsylvania, which is a bit smaller than, it's a bit smaller than what Erie, Pennsylvania is. But she uh, moved from there up here to a small little township outside of Erie, which is called Mill Creek. Now, Amanda, she was beautiful, young, blonde, and had received her bachelor's degree in education, reading specialization in 2008. And she also taught for a while before moving to Erie. And according to an Erie News article, she was beloved by her students. Amanda had met the Grazioli family when she became their nanny. And from the articles I've read, John became infatuated with Amanda. And why not? She was young, blonde, and beautiful, and great with children. And not only that, she also had a budding fitness career. Amanda was also into helping animals. So what wasn't there to love? And when Amanda came into the lives of the Grazioli family, John and Erica had been married in 1998, but by the October of 2015, John had filed for divorce, and the divorce was finalized by the following February of 2016. And maybe it's a little bittersweet, but Amanda and John were married by September 30th of the same year. But comparing Amanda to John's soon-to-be ex-wife, Erica Grazioli, Erica was the same age, if not just a couple years younger, but what could Erica compete with with Amanda? Yes, she was lovely with the maturity of a 40-something, but what 40-year-old can compete with something with someone who is 15 to almost 20 years your junior? You can't. Where Amanda was just beginning her career choice, Erica was was already established. She had an up and running practice as a neurologist in the area area and is also connected to the Pittsburgh hospitals. So there's no way Amanda could compete, nor should she, but she could mess with Erica's practice. John Grazioli was providing a very comfortable life for Amanda because normally what she would have made there would have been no way she would have been able to have the lifestyle she was living. They were living in a very upscale home in a very nice subdivision in the Mill Creek area called Whispering Woods. And I live not too far from this area. The home itself was worth $340,000. John Grazioli worked as a financial manager at the time. He was, he was the owner of this financial establishment. But depending on what was going on with the stock market or whatever else, Mr. Grazioli did in his business, providing for a family wouldn't be too bad, especially in the Erie area. But add in attorney fees, that goes along with a messy divorce, and the more you make, the more they take. The attorneys, that is. 
And on top of the messy divorce with Erica Grazioli, add in an extremely messy custody battle. And who would know better about what went on in the family home than the nanny? Which in this case was the new Mrs. Grazioli. Yes, that was Amanda. And at this time, John and Amanda had only been married for five months. They, like I said, had been married in September of that year. But what happened that day, or or even those few weeks or months prior, that would have made someone who in reality was still in their honeymoon phase turn up and flip and kill their bride of only five months? Were they even truly happy? In an article from Erie News Now, arrest records had shown that it had been a call that was received by Grazioli's ex-wife, Erica Grazioli, who then had a friend call the police that prompted a police investigation. Erica Grazioli had told the police when interviewed that she had, quote, called her from his cell phone and just told her that he had killed his current wife, Amanda. But again, why? Amanda had been subpoenaed that February to testify in March in an ongoing custody battle between the two ex uh, between the two Graziolis. That conference was to have been heard before Judge John J. Meade. But there was no love loss between the two Mrs. Graziolis either. And whenever there's two Mrs. Graziolis, there usually can be some friction. Erica had filed against Amanda, stating that Amanda would accost her in public and had her attorney file a motion to modify the custody agreement that was already in place since January of that year. And this is a quote. Amanda kept following my client, yelling obscenities at her and screaming at her regarding the upcoming custody case. Erica Grazioli's lawyer, Kimberly Oaks, wrote in a letter to John Grazioli's lawyer, John Evanoff, according to an Erie News Now article. Now, given the fact that Erica Grazioli is a prominent doctor in the area, and obviously Amanda is younger and has a quicker temper and has cared for these children for several years prior to being the new Mrs. Grazioli. My question is, were these in front of the children? Because you know, children hear everything. They're little sponges. You might think they're not listening, but they're listening. So if they weren't hearing it at mom's house, you guarantee that they were listening at dad's house. So they knew something was going on. And like I said earlier, about Erica being an established neurologist. Where can you hurt a practice? Online. And that is where Amanda took her fight. Amanda had been accused of writing these such negative comments about Erica's practice on her professional website. Erica then in turn went right to John, who obviously being caught in the middle of these two, had to ask, if it really had been Amanda who had written the comments. This was also in the filings from Erica's attorney. Now that scheduled hearing had been about whether or not Erica Grazioli would be able to obtain the records for the identity of the person who had actually wrote the comments, but it had been blocked with the attempts by John's attorney, which 
just tells you that there was some kind of guilt there because if not, who was it? If you have nothing to hide, you would say, I don't have anything to hide. Look at my records, but not you. Let the judge look at my records. Let them look at my computer. You have a peek at it. You tell me what you think. And then the judge can tell the other, the judge can tell the um, other attorney, look, there's nothing on the computer. There's just, you know, she didn't do it, blah, 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 blah. But it was blocked by his attorney. So obviously there must have been something there. But on March 8th, 2018, that would be the last day for Amanda Grazioli's life. According to police, John Grazioli purchased a 9mm Glock 43 handgun a month prior and then shot Amanda in the back of the head in their bed. Her body was found in the master bedroom of their Mill Creek Township home in Whispering Woods Estates. John Grazioli also left a suicide note saying, quote, I killed Amanda Schmidt Grazioli. I've killed myself. I'm profoundly so- sorry, end quote. But he didn't. John left the house. John first went to the public house on West 26th Street, where, now, listen to this, he proceeded to eat lunch, have a beer, and read the newspaper. Then he drove to St. Peter's Cathedral and spoke to a Catholic priest and confessed to killing his wife and that he was going to go home and then kill himself. Now, technically, the priest can't say anything to the police because of the confessional, but what the priest did do was talk John into turning himself in. Now, I have to say, in my research, there was one that said, uh, several that said that he didn't turn him in, that he talked him into turning himself in. But then there was one article that said that the priest did turn him in. And according to that article, the priest did turn him in because it wasn't part of the sacrament. So that being said, just to give you that background, because there were a lot of articles to research from, but they all did their writings from Erie News Now, from Go Erie, from, you know, the the same places where where I went and and they cited those same same places. So there but there was only one that said that it was the the reverend that did call the police. However, as the police looked into the lives of the Graziolis, it was found that John had kept a secret from Amanda that he and that secret was is that he had purchased the nine millimeter Glock. But it was kept a secret, quote unquote, because it was supposedly for her birthday. And if Amanda was into guns, it wasn't talked about. It wasn't looked into. There was nothing saying that she was a big gun person. Now, I did reach out to a friend of hers, but I didn't hear anything back for this podcast. I do not want to paint the victim with a bad light at all. And we need to remember that Amanda was the victim. Amanda seemed to be a very well-liked person. The police could find nothing in her background other than the ongoing custody battle between John and Erica that Amanda was caught up in. John confessed not just once, not twice, but three times. 
He confessed to the reverend. He confessed to the police when he was arrested. And then he confessed when he was taken to the police station and was in the interrogation room and was being video recorded. And as always, things come out in trial that no one ever thinks will ever come out. And if there are things you don't want your family to know, my suggestion is don't kill anyone before A, you stop doing whatever it is you're doing, B, you really hide whatever it is you're going, whatever it is you're doing, like throw it into a lake, a state away, using a car that doesn't have any GPS and you don't take your phone with you. Or C, just don't kill anybody because it'll just come out anyways because Big Brother's always watching. In Amanda's world, she was doing her own thing. She was rescuing pit bulls. She had her training at the fitness center. And according to an article, she was planning a vacation. But with John, oh, so wonderful John, he was going in a totally different direction. First, he took Amanda out of his wheel. But not only that, it came out that John had called his ex-wife Erica and told her that he was, quote, getting Amanda out of their lives. Also, during the investigation, and this is according to an article by GoEerieNews.com, the police learned that John had been seeking out other women on a dating app weeks prior to Amanda's murder. So a man that was has only been married five months is already seeking out other women to date. I mean, that is a huge red flag. So it makes you wonder, was John ever really in love with Amanda at all, or was it just an infatuation? And once he got what he wanted, the thrill was gone, or was John going through a midlife crisis? He needed that thrill of having the ability to know that he could be with younger, beautiful women, but not understanding that maybe Amanda really did care for him or that the draw for him from other women would be his money. Did he even care? According to court documents that the phone call to his ex-wife happened 10 days before the murder and that he also begged Erica to not to tell her to keep it to quote, please keep this secret until I serve. Now, which made Erica think what any one with a regular working brain who would hear those words would think. He's going to serve her with divorce papers. But there were no divorce papers that ever turned up during the investigation, nor during the trial, nor were there evidence, there was no evidence that Grazioli had even engaged a divorce attorney prior to Amanda's murder. And also, Erica received a phone call the day before the murder, which she testified to stating that Grazioli told her that he had hoped to have everything cleared up by that Friday, which she could only speculate what he meant, meaning that he was going to have her serve that Friday. On the day of the murder, Grazioli made sure that the children were not at home and had them stay with their mother during the time that Amanda was killed. So were they? was that supposedly his day that he was supposed to have them in their, during their custody 
issues because at first they had a 50-50 custody split. And then when everything was going on, Erica had their custody. They went back for mediation and she wanted it changed. So was that a day that he was supposed to have them? But he changed it and said, hey, go stay with your mom today. Then on March 8th, 2008, at 2.16 p.m., Grazioli called his wife, Erica, and, quote, clearly expressed that he had killed Amanda. And these are, quote, from the court records. Then Grazioli went on to say that he was going to kill himself. And as I stated above, the events Erica had asked a fellow co-worker to call the police, to which the Mill Creek Township Police responded to the Grazioli home where the responding officers found Amanda in her bed covered with a blanket with a gunshot wound to the back of her head. Now, I want you to keep in mind, I keep saying to the back of her head. After Grazioli's arrest, he had been transported to the Mill Creek Police Station where there was an officer there who who was trained to deal with suspects who were impaired by drugs. And he testified that Grazioli showed no signs of being intoxicated. He, Grazioli showed no signs of slurred speech, no impaired movement, no illness, and had no obvious smell of alcohol about him. And since Grazioli showed none of these signs with police following the murder or during his interview, and he never claimed that he, that he, that in killing Amanda was an accident, you know, he never sat there and said, you know what, we were, you know, we were coked out of our minds or we were so fucking trash that I had no idea I blanked out or anything like that. They never tested him. But what was Grazioli's expla- explanation to the incident? Even though Grazioli showed absolutely no signs of intoxication, that was his claim that it was all an accident that they had been using cocaine and smoking pot and drinking and that he took one out of Ann. But the events of the day prior to the murder and the day of showed something totally different. Again, these are from court records. At 6.45 a.m., Grazioli sent a message to his children, a text message, which said, Good morning. I love you both with all my heart. And then... Amanda's pink cell phone was found inside of Grazioli's car, which he he sent a text from the cell phone, from Amanda's cell phone to her co-workers and her friends around 9 a.m. to make it look like Amanda was still alive. Then Grazioli was sober enough to leave a message on how to get a hold of his ex-wife, his attorney, where his dogs were, and that they were tame. And above all, the password for his phone. No offense, if you're as trashed as you said, as he's claiming he was, you would barely be able to put two words together, let alone making sure that your dogs are taken care of. And then he had the forethought to put his will on his ex-wife's porch which he left everything to his kids, apparently of whatever he had left. And here's what Grazioli said upon his behalf during the testimony. 
at trial. After both he and Amanda had cocaine, marijuana, and alcohol, he had taken an Ativan. While they were both in bed and Amanda was facing away from him, Amanda had a dog lying beside her. Graziola told Amanda, here's your present. Amanda at that point could not roll over because of the dog, but was able to turn her head and say, Thanks, babe. At that point, Grazioli showed Amanda the gun and pulled the slide to show Amanda how to load the weapon. So think about that. He pulled the slide so that would have put the bullet into the chamber, okay? I mean, I don't know everything about guns, but I know the moment you pull a slide, that puts a a bullet in the chamber. At which time, Grazioli said, He didn't know if the gun had a safety. Now, I'm pretty sure they go over all of this whenever you purchase the gun, but he thought there might be a but. And I have to say, as I was writing this, I was getting super frustrated. I mean, this guy is trying to play the wounded victim here. Grazioli went on to testify that when he went to unload the gun, so he knew the gun was loaded, he pressed the button on the side with his thumb and squeezed the trigger, causing the gun to go off into the back of Amanda's head. Like, what the actual fuck did he think was going to happen when you pull the fucking trigger on a gun that, that he, that meant he was point, he was pointing the gun at her head on fucking purpose. Anybody who's anybody knows you don't point a gun, loaded or not, at anybody unless you mean to pull the fucking trigger. Period. End of fucking story. My blood pressure is rising right now. Just even rereading this and thinking about how he has her in his sights. But he was so bloody fucking kind to pull the covers over her head once he shot her. Of course he did. He didn't want to see what he did. And again, I can literally feel my blood pressure rising. Then Grazioli went to mass where his children attended, and then he was off to fucking lunch. But here's the hiccup in his little plan. Firearms experts. And the one who testified at Grazioli's trial was a Pennsylvania State Police Corporal Dale Weimer who said this particular gun needed at least 10 pounds of trigger pull weight to discharge. Totally slapped the fucking air right out of his whole claim of, oh, it was an accident. I didn't mean to. I mean, totally shit out of luck on this is an accident theory. Grazioli then requested of the court to try for, well... I was too intoxicated to know what I was doing, to which they said, denied, as he should have been. I mean, he showed forethinking the whole entire time with buying the gun, with writing out his will, with changing his will, because his old will had Amanda's name in it. He took her name out, gave everything to the kids. Then... He wrote out that paper, the suicide note with all the names. The other thing on the suicide note, and and I didn't put it in there with the names of who to contact and that, he had everybody's fucking phone number on it. I don't know about you, but I can't remember anybody's fucking phone number to save my goddamn life. I have to look it up. Fucking cell phones have killed my memory for for phone numbers. 
Sorry. I I mean, even my partner's number, I still have to look it up because I get the first numbers wrong all the time. He had those numbers. He had his ex-wife's number. He had his attorney's number. I don't know about you, but I don't know my attorney's number off the top of my head. I know her name, but I don't know her, her number off the top of my head. He had to look that shit up. He wasn't drunk. He wasn't high. He wasn't on Ativan. He was thinking. He knew what he was doing. He had planned it out. He, he thought, well, if I claim this, if I claim that, if I get denied this one, we're just going to try and go around the back way and do it this way. But he got denied because everybody saw through it. When the verdict came down, he was found guilty of murder in the first degree. Possession of an instrument of crime, aggravated assault, recklessly endangering another person. And carrying a firearm without a license because when they picked him up at the church, he was he had that on him. On April 5th, 2019, Grazioli was sentenced to life without parole. Since filed an appeal and because almost the same drugs and alcohol were found in Amanda's system and the court re-looked at Grazioli's case. Two cases were cited, which was Commonwealth v. Chambers and Commonwealth v. Eichinger. Commonwealth v. Chambers because when a court comes to a conclusion through the exercise of its discretion and the burden is to show that its discretion has been abused, not sufficient enough to persuade the court that it might have reached a different conclusion, but to show an actual abuse of discretionary power, also abuse of discretion will not be found on mere error of judgment, but rather whether the court has been has reached a conclusion overrides or misapplies the law or where the judgment reached is unreasonable or the results of partially prejudice bias or ill will absent an abuse of that discretion we will not disturb the ruling of the trial court basically it comes down to did we screw up when we made this ruling did we overreach with our power? No, they didn't. Commonwealth v. Eichinger. And yes, these had to be done verbatim because you cannot take these out of context. So these are from the court text. A criminal homicide constitutes murder of the first degree when it is committed by an intentional killing. And this is cited from Supreme Court ruling. A defense of diminished capacity negates the element of specific intent and thus mitigates first-degree murder or third-degree murder. Basically, if they cannot, if they don't know what they're doing, they don't have that intent. They did not have that forethought. So in Pennsylvania, first-degree murder automatically gives you life without parole. If they find that you did not have that forethought, it's automatically mitigated to third degree, which means you you only serve 40 years. And I know that off the top of my head because of another case that we did. So that being said, that brings in Commonwealth v. Petala, and which I've cited that case on here before. The fact that the record contains some evidence that the defendant consumed an intoxicant will not suffice to justify diminished capacity instruction. 
A defendant is entitled to the instruction only when he is overwhelmed to the point of his faculties and sensibilities, meaning that the judge needs to let the jury know, look, he was incapacitated at the time and you need to take that into context when you make your ruling or when you when you decide his fate. And what Grazioli is saying, you you didn't take that into account when you made when you when you made your judgment, but they did. And the main reason being is because A, and I'll go down more through all of this, there was there was more comments on Clemens and stuff, but what it all boiled down to was that Grazioli presented no evidence that he had been intoxicated past the point of losing his faculties at the time he murdered Amanda. And but what the evidence did show was that it was premeditated instead of a drug-induced haze. Nor did Grazioli have any expert witnesses to the fact that he had drugs in his system. Because if you go back to Pad- Padalia, had an expert witness in his case that came forward and it was his own doctor that said, you know what? Yes, he was intoxicated, but it didn't impair his judgment. And the only proof that Grazioli had was in that could have been in their system was the ones that were found in Amanda's system during her autopsy. But those drugs that were in there, she had Zoloft in her system, but the levels that she had were considered therapeutic. His actions, meaning Grazioli's, and his writing showed that he hadn't even lost his faculties due to the use of drugs and alcohol, even though Grazioli made a huge issue during the trial that the police didn't test him for drugs. Grazioli waited 12 to 16 hours. Yes, I said hours before he turned himself in and he showed no signs that he was under the influence. Now, I want you to take a step back and listen to this. At 2.16, whatever it was, was when he called and told his ex-wife, I killed her. Take that back to 12 hours. That's how long she had been dead. Where was he that entire time? He wasn't at the the cathedral the whole time. How long did he stay with her body? He was there with her. She died at least at 2 a.m. So he stayed with her for quite a while in that house. Grazioli's defense of it was an accident. I was just giving her her birthday present. Her birthday was still a month away. Take into the fact the position of her body and how he described how the quote-unquote accident happened, it makes absolutely no sense. And if he was under the influence of as much drugs and alcohol as he claimed, how could he recall as much detail with that much clarity? Then my absolute favorite, he quote-unquote accidentally fired the gun while trying to unload it. The position of Amanda, again and where the gun was pointing, and then, quote, accidentally shooting Amanda. Fucking horseshit. So what did the appeal boil down to? It was denied. But before all of this happened, his trial and the appeal, Amanda's mother yanked his ass into court for a civil trial. So the judge for that case had to determine if it could even be heard before his murder trial. Because hearing it before the trial... All, all he could say is, I plead the fifth. So he doesn't incriminate himself. But in this instance, 
he already admitted to killing Amanda. So it just came down to figuring out what kind of sentence Grazioli would get first, second or third degree murder charges, which is which, as we know, now he got first degree. But the judge in that case, Judge Dromanovich, put a stay on that particular trial until after he had his murder trial. And as in most states, there are some laws that protect those that have been victimized by the people also. Even though Grazioli personally didn't physically touch them, it's what he did to them in other ways. Amanda's mother, Denise, can never talk to her daughter on the phone. Oh, she can talk to her. And I'm sure Amanda, in sh- I'm sure in Amanda's own way, she's there comforting her mother. But when you rip away a child from a parent, the devastation that you feel is never ending. There's a hole in your belly that never that is never going to go away. And every day, Denise has to live with that. Not Grazioli, not his ex-wife. When Grazioli was dragged into court for the civil proceeding, he said he had no money. But how was that? He was the president and CEO of Grazioli Asset Management. Granted, it only started in 2017, but where did the money go? He would have had investors. Did he move his money offshore or did he have the forethought to put the money into accounts for kids that they couldn't touch until they were 18? Amanda's mother was awarded money, and I won't go into that because that could just stir up problems for her and her family, but it was a sizable amount. However, how do you put a a dollar sign on your child's life? To this day, Grazioli still has not said why he has killed Amanda. Not at all. None. Nada. He's still holding out for whatever reason. To me, there's some questions that needed to be, that need to be answered, and the police could have the evidence needed that could do that. Remember, there was an article saying that Grazioli was on dating apps and already looking around for another young lady to date. Was he regretting his hasty marriage and just didn't know another way of getting out of it and couldn't afford another alimony payment? Or was there something a bit darker, a bit deeper, that the police are just starting to scratch the surface on, with Amanda being caught in the middle of an ugly custody battle? What was she seeing that Grazioli didn't want her to testify to? Either way, Amanda cannot come back. She's gone and Grazioli will spend the rest of his life in prison because he couldn't bring himself to do the right thing and be a decent human being. And because of that, several families' lives are ruined and one person lost. I hope you like this case. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to go to either Facebook, podbean.com, and ask away, and I'll try and get back to you as soon as I can. On iTunes, please leave a rating. It sounds crazy, but it's important to the podcasting world. And on those platforms, you can you can find me along with, with Spotify at All Things Erie from Erie PA. And that's Erie with three E's. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at K-A-T-H-Y-B-R-D-L-Y. That's Kathy B-R-D-L-Y. Come on over and check it out. That's where I announce the newly uploaded episodes and add pictures. Also, my sources will be added to my Facebook page. It's also the end of the month, so remember, it's Mental Awareness Month. If you need to talk to someone, don't let anyone make you feel bad about it. Talk to your doctor. Talk to anyone. You would be surprised at who also could be struggling. I'd like to also give a shout out to the folks I've been talking to on t- in the Twitterverse who have been helping me with my podcast, Emily, Jolene, Eileen, and Kira just to name a few. And I cannot forget partner who deals with hearing me say, I have to finish this. So remember, stay safe, stay healthy. This is Kathy signing off.